0: The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Morning, morning. How are you, friends? Good. 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 If you're a regular, welcome back. If you're new with us uh, or just checking us out, hope you feel welcome um, today. I'm just going to pray really quickly, and then we're going to um, we're going to jump in. Lord God, we just pray uh, that Your Word would speak to us today, uh, in Your name. Amen. Michael Jordan is considered to be uh, the greatest basketball player of all time. Uh, The GOAT, I know there's some other names floating around, but I think most of us kind of settle on Michael Jordan as the man. Uh, If you would ask people all around the world, uh, what is Michael Jordan known for? There's probably two things, the greatest basketball player, and maybe secondly, people might reference Air Jordan, the the famous symbol of Michael Jordan kind of flying through the air. Michael Jordan. He's a pretty big deal. Um, There was a film that came out last year um, called Air. It was written, produced and starred Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, a couple of Hollywood heavyweights. And the story that that they told was how Michael Jordan actually signed this incredible deal. um, The deal would be that anything that had Air Jordan or Michael Jordan or him flying through the air, anything that had that symbol on it he would actually get a percentage, a monetary percentage of that purchase. So if you went and bought a pair of Air Jordans, even today, Michael Jordan still gets a little bit of that revenue. It's it's an incredible deal. It's an incredible sponsorship deal that he struck. And what's really interesting about the film, if you talk to Matt Damon and Ben Affleck when they interviewed about it, they said the way they wanted to tell the story was that Michael Jordan was really never to appear actually in the film. They reference him. They show a bit of old footage of him and they do have an actor who actually plays Michael Jordan but you never see his face. He's maybe in one or two scenes. You might see his shoulder. Michael Jordan is not really in the film at all but the film's all about him. In fact, the film really is a little a little backroom drama that unfolds this incredible deal that got struck way back in the 80s. And when we think of our story here today about the wedding of Cana, the lens I want you to think about it through is similar to this in that this is a little backroom drama happening in the midst of a public wedding. Now, on our side of history, Jesus is no doubt the central figure. He's the protagonist. He's the one doing this incredible miracle of turning water to wine. But really, at this point, Jesus isn't a big deal. It's only the second chapter of John. His first public miracle, which is significant. right? To most of the people at the wedding, he's just one of the old boys just hanging around. He's not a big deal yet. And so the lens of the way we want to have a look at it is this is a little, small, backroom drama. Because in real time, Jesus isn't the central figure. In real time, when this wedding was happening, it's actually the bride and the groom. They are the central figure of this whole story. They're the one that everybody's looking at. It's all about them. These characters in this story, they're a little bit by the side. And as we kind of get into it, hopefully we'll see through our time this morning... That it is rich. This story is rich in biblical symbols. And while he does a miracle, water to wine, there's actually a really big picture that he's painting for us this morning. So a couple of things. Jewish wedding, right? Traditionally, you're looking at potentially about somewhere around about a week-long wedding. That's how long a a big public wedding would take place. So that people from all around the area could come in, they'd drop in, stay for a bit, they'd move on. A week-long wedding. It was public, it was big, it was communal... And everyone was invited. And that's the setting for our story this morning. So the fact that they run out of wine is actually no small feat. You see, it's on—it's actually incumbent on the bride and groom and their family that as a gesture of love and appreciation for family and friends and community and all that they would do to invest into the marriage of this bride and groom, it's their responsibility to provide for all the guests across this week. Right? It's their responsibility to do that. And and how do they do that? They do that by eating and drinking and sitting together and being together, right? Hospitality is huge in Jewish culture, as it is in ours in some ways, but really, really important. So the fact that the bar tab runs out, that there's a lack of wine that halfway through, right, the, the wines run dry is actually really, really significant. And I don't know if you noticed in the story, it's quite a famous story, so maybe you've read it before. It's quite interesting how Jesus interacts with this scenario, Because if you read it, he seems very reticent to get involved. In fact, it almost seems a little bit jarring. It doesn't kind of feel like maybe the Jesus we paint for ourselves, right? Because if you imagine Mary, his mother, turns up. Jesus, oh, there's been a bit of a stitch up with the bathtub. What are your thoughts? And he's just like, easy. He doesn't really want to get involved. That's what it it seems like. But in fact, I think Jesus absolutely knows what he's doing. And I think it's actually a picture, this incredible wedding, of Jesus showing his divinity and his humanity. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And I think in this moment we see a real window into Jesus as fully God, fully man. You see, Jesus doesn't make mistakes. He lets us in. He doesn't make mistakes. He actually lets us in. And really significant is that this is his first miracle this is the first time he's going to step out and publicly show that he is divine, that he can actually perform this incredible miracle, which is kind of interesting when you consider, no doubt it's incredible that he can turn water to wine. Amazing, significant, huge. But when you think about all the other miracles he did, he healed the sick, he cast out demons, he confronted religious leaders, he demonstrated authority over natural forces, he even raised Lazarus from the dead. He did all these incredible things. But he doesn't do any of those as his first miracle. His first miracle is this little backroom drama where he's trying to stay out of the way, cautious to get involved, and he goes ahead and he performs at a wedding. As big a deal as it is, he's turning water into wine. It's significant. Why? Well, what is a wedding? Ideally, a wedding... Is a, is a beautiful picture of love, bride and the groom coming together, right? It's a picture of love, it's ideally a picture of unity, of commitment to each other, of community, of life lived well, right? A wedding, if you go to a really great wedding, everyone looks good, the food's good, the venue's good, you see old friends, new friends, there's a great band playing, Right, a kind of peter's on all day. You come and go. It's highly, it's meant to be awesome. A beautiful celebration. And that is what Jesus wants us to see first. That amongst all the incredible things that Jesus is about to go and do, yes, he's on the road to the cross. Yes, he will die and rise again. Yes, he's going to be under incredible pressure. Yes, all the issues with all the people and his disciples, all of the mess that he steps into, his first miracle is to set up a moment of unbridled celebration of beauty because that's, that's the end goal for Jesus. The cross absolutely is pivotal, but it's a means to an end to get you and me all the way to this point of the marriage feast of the Lamb, a seat at this table. And I think that's what he wants us to see. In some ways, it takes us all the way back to Genesis 1. Right? The Bible is considered to be God's love letter to his people. If you want to know about God, he wrote it down. And where does he start? He doesn't start with a problem, doesn't start with a crisis, doesn't start with sin or death or destruction. He doesn't even start with the solution. He doesn't necessarily, even in some sense, start with a, a pivotal savior. What does he start with? He starts with perfection. He starts with radiant, abundant glory. He starts with the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit out of their unity, out of their love, their commitment, right? Their life lived together. He starts with an expression of pure creativity in the Garden of Eden. It doesn't fall apart until Genesis 3. 1 and 2 is just a beautiful picture of life lived with God. Similar to this wedding, I think, the ideal of what a wedding would be. It is a moment of of pure beauty. So inside the story... Right? Jesus does this incredible thing of turning water to wine. Now, a couple of things, right? incredible as that is, that he sorts out the bathtub, is the picture of wine in the Old Testament means joy. That's the symbolic meaning of wine in the Old Testament. It means joy. And what does Jesus do? Well, it's important to get our head around the fact that these large um, Jewish um, containers, these rites of passage water, they are, it's, a, it's a vast amount of water. And some people would say that you're looking at the equivalent of maybe anywhere between 160 to 180 gallons of water. And when you convert it into him turning it into wine and what it looks like, experts would say you're roughly looking at potentially about anywhere between 800 to 1,000 bottles of premium wine. Now, that is quite... That's an incredible picture. And it, it almost kind of doesn't quite work because... That is far in excess of the wine required for a week-long Jewish wedding. In fact, it's an exorbitant, it's an extravagant amount of wine that he has produced. It almost doesn't make sense that he would create this much wine. And not just any old wine. We're talking top shelf, premium, the best of the best. If you go to the Bottle O today and you buy yourself a really nice bottle of premium wine, right? this is better than that. And is an incredible amount of wine that he 's created. And I think it 's very much like Jesus to do something like this. If you think about some of the miracles he does later on, feeding the 5,000, what does he do? Something similar. takes a couple of loaves, a few pieces of bread, starts breaking it up. There's a vast amount of people there. He takes a little, and he feeds the multitude. But not just that. if you remember that story, what happens at the end? There are baskets and baskets and baskets full of excess fishes and loaves, just like what he does here. It's an extreme amount beyond social expectations of what people would have thought the wine that should have been provided. You know, it speaks to, in some sense, it speaks to God's overwhelming, abundant love that he wants to pour out on this bride and groom and the whole community. Abundant love, abundant joy that he is pouring out. It's so extreme because he wants us to get a picture of God's extreme love and joy and abundance that he is pouring out. And I know in this season, I know that sometimes we look at that and we think, can I really believe that God is that abundant in caring for my provision, the things I literally need, and the spiritual provision. And I know often in the start of a new year, however the holiday seasons have treated you, maybe you don't feel that God is like that on your behalf. I get that. But as we read through, I want you to try and just get your head around the fact that God doesn't change. The same God that changed this water to wine to prove his abundance and his joy and his love that he pours out, that he cares about the good times and the celebration, that is the same God working on your behalf. And if you feel distant from God this morning, and maybe you don't feel that abundance, I just want to read John, John 6, 35 says, He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never thirst again. There is never not a point in life to come to Jesus and come to him with an open arm, open hands and say, God, I need you. And watch how God steps in, in miraculous ways, maybe in ways we don't expect, but God wants to step in because God's working in the back rooms of your life and my life just like he's doing here at this wedding of Cana. You know, the miracle is turning water to wine. That's the miracle. And that's the physical provision but I think Jesus is actually creating a, a greater picture here of his provision, a greater spiritual provision. You know, it's not lost on me that this, what are we, 7th of January? So many of us are going back to work. That hurts. Maybe you're already back at work. Maybe it's coming, right? We kind of feel a bit optimism about the, optimistic about the new year, but it kind of hurts to go back to work. Christmas, New Year's, we just had that season. It's always marketed to us. This great season. I don't know whether that was true for you. I know that sometimes Christmas and New Year's can be a bit hard. Can I just put it to you that Jesus knows what it feels like to be in a season of celebration and downtime and to have to think about work. Jesus gets it. Jesus is right there with you. Have a look at this. He's at a wedding. He's there with his mates, his family. He's there to have a good time like everybody else. And mum turns up and says there's an issue with the bar tab. What does Jesus do? He says, what does this have to do with me? And in a sense, right, this is a real picture into his humanity. What does this have to do with me? He goes on to say, my hour has not come. When you think about my hour has not come, every time in the, in the Gospels when Jesus says my hour, he's actually referring to the cross. He's referring to the fact that I have to go and die a horrific, painful death physically. I have to do incredible spiritual work. I have to go and die. I have to go and rise again, and everything that that entails. You see, Jesus isn't just divine in converting water to wine. He's deeply human. He is feeling this moment. You know, when he looks at those purification jars and he's considering water to wine, you know, I wonder if he's considering the last time water changed. I wonder if he's considering all the way back in Exodus when God's people were slaves to Pharaoh and one of those incredible um, plagues, those miracles that God performed to show his divinity, what did he do? He took running water of the Nile and what did he do? He turned it into blood. Maybe Jesus is moved by the fact that it's actually my blood that's got to run. Maybe he's considering later on when God's people are, are freed from Pharaoh They're out in the wilderness and they're literally dying at the end of Exodus. In Exodus 17, if you know the story, God's people are out in the wilderness. They're dying of thirst, quite literally dying of thirst. God tells Moses, strike your staff against a rock and water pours out. Maybe Jesus is considering, unless I pour myself out, my people will die. I am living water and this is what I'm called to do. Maybe he's considering when he looks at these purification jars, which are highly significant. These purification jars had to house living water. Jewish culture, living water, had a couple of meanings. One of them was it had to be running water. On a practical level, living water meant running water. So it wasn't still, it was moving. And the living water, the running water, had to be captured into these large jars. And it only had one purpose, only had one purpose in Jewish culture, that if you wanted to be clean before you stepped into a religious festival, you had to make yourself clean and this water was the one to do it. This water would have to clean you before before you stepped into religious ceremony. Maybe Jesus is considering that this ritual will soon become obsolete because it won't be water that will make my people clean, it will be my death, it will be my body, it will be my blood that must run. I myself will make my people clean and everything about that cost him to do that you know it's it, it it's, it's incredible to think that and so jesus gives us this real picture of his humanity kind of gives a different meaning when we read hebrews 4 4 uh 4 when he says we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness but one who was tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin jesus gets it he's with us right so here he is thinking about the final hour but as the season we've just moved through, Christmas, what did we celebrate at Christmas? Emmanuel, God with us. See, Jesus came to be with us. So he holds the tension of the great call of my life is the cross. That's the great hour that I've been called to, but actually every hour is actually what I've been called to. Every hour is to be with my people. That's where I want to be. I want to be in the mess and the muck and the mud. I want to be with my people. And so he performs this incredible miracle knowing that as soon as it goes public, as soon as people know that I am divine, I am the Son of God, that road to the cross gets very, very short. It gets very, very quick. And yet he steps into that for us his divinity, his humanity. You know, he's working in the back rooms of our lives and at this wedding here to not just provide practical, but also the spiritual needs that we have. Incredible. Imagine being Mary. She's in the back room there in the quiet space. Imagine being Mary, the mother of Jesus. Imagine having that. Have to think about that. right? She knows that Jesus is the the Messiah, Emmanuel. He has come to be the saviour for the world. She knows that. She sees Jesus in, in, in all the different seasons of life as he grows up. Incredible. I think she would have an incredible relationship with Jesus which means when she makes that request to Jesus, that speaks a lot about her understanding of faith and what it means to be in relationship. I don't know whether Mary has the big picture of what God is creating. I think she just feels on behalf of this bride and groom, they're about to run out of the bathtub and are like, oh, this is going to go bad publicly. How do we help them? I know, I'll take it to Jesus. He's the son of God. He's divine. Not everyone knows it yet, but I know it. Maybe he can help us out. right? Don't you love that she takes her requests to God? You know, that is a relationship built on a quiet confidence. A quiet confidence to know that my son, our saviour, he can provide. He can meet any need. And she takes that quietly to him. I think that relationship with, with Jesus, as, as Jesus' mother, Mary and Jesus, I think that relationship would be quite unique. But it's not exclusive. It's not beyond what you and I have we have that same standing that Mary had. We can take our request to Jesus. Even more exciting, I think, than the request is what she says after. She takes it to Jesus and then she says, whatever he asks you to do, do it. She doesn't know how he's going to do it. She doesn't know when he's going to do it. I don't even know if Mary really even knows if he will do it. She just places it before him and says, here's the scenario, I'll leave it with you, and says to everyone else, whatever he asks you to do, just do it. Because I think she knows that A, he's divine, he's God. I think she knows that he's right, whatever he decides to do. And ultimately, she knows that he's good. And if you've got those three things in your back pocket, if you've got a relationship with God that knows those three things, he's divine, he's right, and he's good, You have the confidence to bring every request before the king and to leave open hands and to say, as it falls, I trust in you. Even though I can't see what you're doing, even though it may not be the answer that I want, even though it feels distant, Jesus isn't distant. He's right there. Bring your requests. The faith that Mary had is the faith that we can have as well. It's beautiful. Um, I love it. As we walk through, um, if you look at the passage all the way at the end, um, towards the end, he actually, the the story goes converts the water to wine, right? Gets the servants, takes it to the Master of Gethsemane, checks it out. It's wine. Wow, this is good stuff. Calls the groom in and says, Everyone else serves the good stuff first and the poor stuff last. But you've switched it around. You've actually served the best at the end. And there is an absorbent amount. Who gets the credit? Who gets the credit for the miracle Jesus does? The groom gets the credit. I mean, isn't that just incredible? The groom actually gets the credit. The groom, who probably, along with the bride and the family, have actually kind of made a complete meal of the one job, right? the one really important job they had was to cater and look after all of your guests, right? A big responsibility placed upon the bride and groom. He gets it wrong. He falls short. He's a bit subpar. He doesn't get it together. And what does Jesus do? He sorts it out and delivers all the credit goes to the groom, not to Jesus. And isn't that just a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Doesn't he work in the back rooms continuously always to present us perfect to God the King through his son and what he does on the cross? Jesus came to the life, came to life with us, to live with us, lives the perfect life. Goes to the cross, dies on the cross, a death he never should have died. Defeating sin and death, rising 3 days later, and what does he do? All of that righteousness he bequeaths to us who believe in him, at all cost to himself, at all benefit to us. Just like the picture that God is creating here, at all cost to him, he turns the water to wine at all benefit to the groom, he gets made to look incredible. You know, within the story, within within biblical literature, you read Ephesians 5 and at the end of Revelation, see, the, the, God absolutely loves marriage. It's so key because it paints a picture of Christ and the church. See, in Ephesians 5, it actually says, draws out the parallel that the groom... Right? symbolically represents Jesus, and the bride symbolically, in biblical literature, represents us, the church, past, present, and future. Anyone who believes in Jesus as the Son of God is considered to be a part of, part of the church in faith. And so this picture even gets even bigger when we understand that it's actually Jesus whose job is to present you and me as absolutely perfect as the bride before God the Father, That he would accept us as beautiful and perfect and holy and pure. That is his job. And that is the picture that he's creating for us here. It is absolutely incredible. You see, the, the miracle is water to wine. He's divine. But the picture is of what God is doing just beyond, yes, the practical, but beyond the practical. You know, in this film, Air, the Michael Jordan film, What I think is kind of interesting in it is that um, Jordan's a rookie, which means he's never played NBA basketball at this point. He's only 17 and 18. I think he's like 17 maybe. He's about to strike this deal. Right, He's got to consider Adidas and Nike and which one's going to give him the most money. In Michael Jordan's mind, at least the way the film made it out, is the one thing he really wanted is the sweetener, along with the big payday. The one thing he really wanted was a car. He really wanted a car, understandably. And as the story unfolds, most of the agents don't actually speak with Michael Jordan. They speak with his mum, who's a key figure in the film. And it's actually mum who negotiates the deal in the quiet back room. The mum is the one who hardballs the Nike people and negotiates a deal that actually anything with Michael Jordan brand he gets a percentage of. Today, I think he's in his, what, 50s, 60s. He still gets that royalty check. But it doesn't compare, the extravagance of that deal does not compare to the extravagance of what he has brought us. You see, Jesus in this moment, while painting this picture, is absolutely obedient to God the Father. And it's from that obedience that blessing flows. Blessing flows for our salvation, but blessing flows even in the practicality of providing wine in this wedding. And blessing flows for us when we are obedient to the King, even when we don't know, even when we don't know the outcome. But we know He's good, we know He's right, um, and we know He's He knows He's God. Um, it's not lost on me <clears throat> uh, that New Year's resolutions—this is the time that they roll around. Uh, we want to do more fitness, we want to eat better, watch less TV, spend less money. We all send those put out those optimistic uh, endeavours. Maybe you've had a thought of some of those. <clears throat> if you're a regular with us today, as I wrap up, I, I want to kind of put something to you that maybe part of your resolution as you step into the new year might actually be Mary's words. Whatever he asks you to do, do it. Whatever he asks you to do, do it. And you can do that if you know that God is God, he's right and he's good. And as we step into this sort of radical obedience, blessing flows. Blessing flowed for that community wedding. Blessing flowed through salvation that was won for us on the cross. And blessing, a blessing will flow when he actually brings us all the way back, when he restores us to that new heaven and that new earth and we get to taste and see that the God is so good, so, so good. Can I pray for us um, as we wrap up this morning? Father, we just want to come before you, Lord, and we just want to say thank you. We just want to consider, Father, that, Lord, the miracle is water to wine. That is incredible. But the picture of your salvation, Father, the picture of the groom, you, Jesus, presenting us, the church, the bride, perfect, clean, spotless, To the King, King of Kings, Lord, that we might be found, Lord, perfect in you. Father, help us to live a life of obedience so that blessing might flow through us, that we might experience that, Lord, but the blessing might flow so that people might see that a seat at this table, Father, a seat at this table with you is absolutely worth it. It is compelling, a compelling vision to live for you and to live with you. Father, we bring this to you in your name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others